0: First, let me pray. Christ, you proclaim, we proclaim you, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in you. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be it pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let me try something. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In body or in spirit, stand in reverence as I read the scriptures. And I'll, you can flip to it. It's in your bulletin. 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verse 7 through 12. And now that you've found it, why don't you set it down? And I want you to listen to me. These letters would have been read aloud. And I thought we could try hearing the way that our brothers and sisters would have heard it. Not in Greek, but we knew it in English. So a letter from the Apostle John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord, it is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. God is what? How would you have finished that statement without looking at the passage, right? How would you have finished that statement honestly? Some of you maybe have been in reformed circles enough God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay, good. Um, God is the man upstairs, a monster, a meanie, a make-believe friend. I get that sometimes. God is awesome or wonderful, yeah. (laughs) There might have been a number of ways that you've answered that question, but what does John say here in the scriptures? God is love. God is love, period. And that's the sermon, really. but I have more to say. So, but if you have a takeaway, and just underline that. But seriously, the thesis, God is love. God is love itself sent into the world to be seen. God is love himself sent to us to be seen by us. In other words, God is love itself sent and seen. These are the movements, alliterative, of course, through the scripture this morning. God is love itself, sent, seen. So, first, let's start with this. God is love in himself. God is love itself. Now, this statement can really be like kind of romanticized or rhetorical sounding, can't it? Like, God is love itself. Like, what does that mean? Uh, Both the notions of God and of love are really easy to abstract, right? And we hear stuff like that all the time, right? Like, love is love, okay? God is the essence of being, the spirit of the universe inside all of us. And you're like, yeah, what does that mean, right? Okay, for whatever truth such statements actually convey, uh, the truth can get kind of lost in the loftiness, right? But the apostle here isn't intending to be lofty. He's neither romantic or rhetorical, but he's trying to be real. Verse 7, love is from God. Why? Verse 8, because God is love. Love as we once talked about earlier in this sermon series through 1 John is kind of like a triangulation of action, attention, and affection, right? Action, attention, affection. Love has its reality and its origin in God. God is love itself in that God is the origin of all that might be described as true love. He is the origin the original, the origination of true love. God is the fount, the source, the force from which and by which all love like an energy goes out and actually the point to which all love gravitates and returns. A lot of you are engineers and I am not and so you can correct me on this later but I think of it like this. John is not trying to talk about like mathematical theory. He's talking about physics cause and effect, combustion, power. How is it? We are to wonder. God is the source of the power of love. And this we have to get into our orthodox doctrine here, right? Because God is not an abstract notion. God is a real, spiritual, yet substantial existence of loving, of loving. See, God is not only the origin, he's a communion. He's a communion of love. God is a communion, a unity, a community of lovers, of beloved, loving one another in, by, and thus being and becoming love. God in his self is communal. He is a communal self, actively and essentially loving himself. Okay, what do we mean? Christians, we proclaim the mystery of the Trinity. God is revealed as one and three. One, three, three together, one, okay? One God, three persons. It's taken many hundred years to work this out, so if it's a little over our heads, that's okay, okay? The Confession puts it this way. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the unity of God, there is a community of persons, each perfectly united to one another in their relationship of love, perfectly attending to, affectionate towards, active with one another. God is alone in and on himself all sufficient because all the energy of love and existence comes up from inside him as if a sun could produce its own energy for its own burning and become kind of a perpetual energy, God, the Godhead, burns with an ever greater, ever deeper, interpenetrating, always open, and yet growing full love. Love originates from God because the internal movement of the Godhead generates it from his very being. Our African fathers worked out the grammar of Trinity, father, son, Holy Spirit, lover, beloved, love. It was our Near Eastern fathers who worked out the sound, the rhythm, the emotion. Gregory of Nazianzus, fun name, called the love of the Trinity perichoresis, which one way of interpreting can bring the sound of a dance a coming together, a choreography. I mean, have you ever danced? you ever spun around dancing, looking at your partner, getting lost in their eyes, in the movement, in the joy, the momentum, the excitement, building as you spin and get into the rhythm. It's captivating, isn't it? Not only for those dancing, but for everyone around who begins to watch the intimacy of it. So in God, there is one singular activity in being of love. An eternity of embrace, a dance of delight, pouring out of himself. Pouring out. See, he's loving outwardly. To. This is not like a selfish God. He's all-sufficient, but he's not selfish. He doesn't necessarily or consequently like excrete love, like a radioactive particle or something, but intentionally, graciously, because he loves to. He desires more things to bring into the captivation of his being see the world doesn't just happen to get to love because the world didn't just happen it was created we were created by god in love out of his love the world rather than some inanimate happenstance is an intentional creation of God and love rather than some involuntary emanation or just feeling to pick up on is an intentional direction of God towards the world. The world was created in God's love and humanity was created uniquely in God's image after his likeness. And what is his likeness? Remember, community essentially and eternally loving. See, we are not made on some assembly line from a mold, but we originate from a love of God, a Trinitarian God. And so our likeness to God requires us to be in community, to love and be loved. That's why it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. That's why the final pinnacle of creation is Eve, the life-giving one, distinct from Adam and yet one with him, beholding one another, adoring one another. That was the height of God's creation to which he said, it is very good, it's very good. So created as we are so intrinsically to love, how crafty, wasn't it? That the serpent should deceive us to reorient our loves. Look at this thing over here. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. Look here. Doesn't that look nice? You want this. You should have this. God doesn't want it for you anyway. Forget him. Take it. Because we are meant to love, our loves are easy to put into many things. And so we were deceived to reorient our loves into things that misoriented us from God and from one another and the creation that we lived in. Sin made love into lust. Sin is that cancerous corruption of love that didn't obliterate our image, but it certainly obfuscated it, marred it, so that even the most shining instances of the human capacity to love are dim, pale, fleeting in comparison with the divine love that we were meant to share in, like a match to the sun. We like to stay in the dark sometimes, though, too, don't we? Sometimes we prefer the neon lights to the burning of the sun. But God, but God, who is love, did not leave us or forsake us. Were my son to fall and hurt himself, my love would run to pick him up. Were my daughter to be attacked, my love would run in wrath to save her. How much more, our heavenly Father, who is himself love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, because of the great love with which he loved us, God made us alive together with Christ. Sin did not deter our Creator's love, but determined Him all the more. For what could so heighten the energy of perfect, perfect self-giving love than the opportunity to pour itself inexhaustibly into the wounds and the chasms created by sin? We just made room for Him. And He loves to pour love into those rooms. And so this brings us to our second point. God is love itself, himself, sent into the world, right? Verse 7, for love is from God, it originates from him, not just in general, but how? Specifically, in his son. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 14, we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Or as John puts it so famously, As we heard in the words of assurance, God in this way loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. In this way, in this one, in this Jesus, the activity of God's eternal attentive affection is intentionally directed into the world through himself, Incarnated in Jesus. See, this is why we're beloved. <laughs> have been loved. Those who know and are known by love given to them are called beloved because they have been loved by God. See, the sending of love is not only intentional in that it's on purpose, right? Right? God did it intentionally, but he did it for a purpose. Did you hear that? He did it for a purpose, to be the propitiation for our sins. The taking away of, the cleansing of, the forgiving of, the atoning of, the healing of. Verse 14, to be the savior of the world, to save us from, to save us for. Save us for what? But eternal life. Throughout this letter, John is reminding us, as he does in chapter 5, verse 11, that we'll get to, and, we'll think, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. See, God sent his Son that whoever might believe in him should have eternal life. Our God manifests. Himself, in restoring his image in us, and restoring us to himself, an existence with him that we were made for, that he describes as eternal life. And that's really hard when we've been trespassing against him. I mean, think of our own. An adulterous husband an addicted child, a vengeful neighbor, a spiteful boss, an abusive mother, how difficult it is to love them. And yet how much more, sometimes we think that's almost easier for God. How much more God who is eternal perfection, He does not tolerate, He does not forget, He does not flex, he does not cave, he does not concede. He has no finite or fallen inclinations whatsoever. He has no need for self-preservation, he's already sufficient. He has no need for self-perfection, he's already perfect. That would deter the action of love as it does in us. We sometimes just want to keep quiet or keep banging the drum, either way, right? God has no need of that. It is inexhaustive, unblinking stare. So how much more this eternal stare, wide-eyed, beaming, brilliant, burning, terrible and beautiful as the dawn, a consuming fire, how much more is it for him to love us in our trespasses? And yet he does that his love might be manifest among us. His love gave itself up to take away our sins. No greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love did not let hate and sin and death have the victory, or deter him, but he gave himself up to conquer death by death. He stopped sin in its tracks, stopped its mouth, loosed its chains, broke its spell, rendered it powerless, and bid us, beloved, come and be free. And now something that is sent, something that is sent is something that needs to be received, right? Something that's sent is not received is lost, or at least is lost on those who were intended to receive it. Friends, you are intended to be recipients of him who has been sent. And so I ask you, Do you receive what is sent? Do you receive him who has been sent to you? Do you receive the gift of love in eternal life? In this reception, this is not a matter of merely signing for a package, taking or leaving it. God sent his son To receive him is like to receive a guest. To receive him is like to receive a king. To receive him is to host him. To receive him is an invitation to accept, a command to obey, an embrace to either reject or fall into. Do you receive him? How will you receive him? And that brings us to this concluding point, this third one. God is love itself sent to be seen. We see love manifest in Jesus Christ himself and in his body, his church, in one another. We are to see in love and be seen loving. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, John wrote earlier. Or in the first chapter of his gospel, he writes, the life, the light of men came into the world, became flesh and dwelt among us. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who do receive him, he gives the right to be called the children of God. To all receive him, to all who see him. For this is the will of my heavenly father, Jesus says, that everyone who what? looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who looks on him. We have to see him to receive him as he is. We have to see him as he is to receive him. That's why Jesus invites men and women to come and see. Stay with me. Follow me. That's why Jesus had to be lifted up on the cross, out of the grave, through his people and their proclamation in word and deed that people might see his love. That's why John introduces his gospel this way, I mean his letter this way, right? That's what we have seen from the beginning, which we touched with our hands and we looked upon. And that's what John is saying in these verses, Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. Verse 14, we have seen and testify. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe. Know is familiarity, intimacy. But how? How are we to see the love of God? John encountered Jesus in the flesh. We don't. John saw miracles and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We weren't there. How is it that we are to see and come to know and be familiar with and believe in this God who is love? Well, John tells us. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also loved one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I mean, did you hear what God is, well, God is speaking to John. Did you hear what John is saying? You want to see God, see him in your brother and sister. You want to see and know God who is love, see love in the way that you love one another. Don't get confused, right? We love because he first loved us. In this is love. We don't manufacture it, but God manifests it among us But we have to cooperate right we have to partake we're going to go into this more next sunday when we revisit this passage we'll be focusing on verse 17 about love being perfected in us but for today today i want to leave us with certain charges certain challenges to see to see god who is in the face of one another to encounter christ in one another so let's focus on John's own words here in verse eight. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love, period. Friends, let's not deceive ourselves. I don't care when someone walked down the altar or got dumped or spoke in tongues or performed miracles or got an div or a Gospel Coalition article, or a segment on Fox News. It does not matter. If they do not love, they are not from God, and they are nothing. We must ask ourselves, is this love? Am I loving this person? Is he or she loving it is the primary criteria for knowing whether you should follow them and let this challenge you it challenges me notice the striking lack of qualifiers whoever loves has been born of God and knows God John doesn't say whoever professes to know God loves he says, Whoever loves knows God. We have seen love among and from those who do not profess to know Jesus. Haven't we? That may even confuse or trouble us at times. But rather than us trying to perform some sort of doctrinal gymnastics to dismiss their love as ingenuine or go through some deconstruction of our faith, let us remember John's words to us. All love comes from God, the creator of all of us. Let us instead move toward love where we find it, go towards it, name it, see it, affirm it, and in so doing, direct it to its source, its end, its God. There's been hummingbirds around. I don't know if you've seen them. Hummingbirds travel thousands of miles for the scent of nectar, right? Asteroids surround our solar system, right? They move through space, pulled by the sun's gravity. A diehard fan is drawn to every venue, every stop on the tour, every site. Why? Would we be drawn to love? Would we be drawn to God in such a way that we would desire to see love where it is? Wherever it needs to be seen. See, we can see for those who don't. Show them. Should we not be witnesses? Should we not be witnesses to those who want to love, to love and be loved, to introduce them to their lover, their creator, their belovedness, that they too, as John says, may have fellowship with us, as indeed our fellowship is with God our Father? Thank someone. Pay attention and thank someone for the way that they love, in Jesus' name, and thank God for them. Thank someone who you may otherwise not talk to, who may not usually be noticed, who may not usually be appreciated, especially from the church. They may say to you that they don't know God, Well, you tell them that God knows them. They may say that their love isn't from God. You tell them that all love is from God. And there is no love except that it's sourced from God. They may say they don't want to love God or love for God. You can tell them that God wants to love them and has come for them, was sent for them, and is clearly already at work in their lives, for otherwise they would not be able to love. Take every thought captive. Do not let anyone excuse their love as happenstance. It is only from God. We are here to be emissaries, to capture all things for our Lord. And the second challenge I want to leave is look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's the same reiteration with a new emphasis, seeing God by seeing one another. Let us be clear. You cannot love God if you do not love your neighbor. These are not two distinct commandments, but they are united greatest commandment. And I think many of us might say something to the effect at times, I love God, but I just have a problem loving others. I just have a problem loving them. I can't love them because of this. John says that you are deceived. You do not love God if you do not love your neighbor. Let us rather endeavor to love God by loving our neighbors, by loving one another. Let us endeavor to see God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, who now promises to reveal himself in the face of one another, especially the faces of those who are poor and powerless. Do you see Jesus in the faces of those around you? He promises to be there. The rather terrifying Verses of Matthew 25, where Jesus speaks to his disciples in the temple, attest to this. Jesus says, when the Son of God comes again in glory to judge the world, he will say, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison. And everyone will ask, Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry and thirsty and estranged and naked and sick and in prison? When did we see you and either feed you or not? Give you a cup to drink or not? Welcome you or not? Clothe you or not? Mend you or not? Visit you or not? Truly, Jesus will say to us, As you did it to the least of one of these my brothers, you did it to me. God is love. God is love itself sent into the world to be seen, to be seen in others and to be seen by others through us in the way that we love. Let us go out seeking then to see him in loving one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.